0: Welcome in to episode number 136 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson alongside myself, Noah Grant, for what should be another great episode. We're finally in November. It feels like we were talking all summer about getting to this point, getting into full swing in conference schedule, getting into full swing in the NHL, although the Minnesota Wild Might not be in full swing just yet who's to say but uh not um, at full strength that's for sure you know besides thursday's game they actually had a pretty nice little road swing and a decent return to home to be honest with you so Mm -hmm. we'll discuss all of that obviously um of course college hockey news another wild week in the college hockey world it's it's still crazy out there nick as they say um a very abbreviated Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup today, and when I say abbreviated, I mean like two topics, literally. Um, and then, uh, speaking of two topics, our extra ice session, we're going to talk about the Mitchell Miller situation, and also we've got uh, some more clarification on Paul washi and his situation as well, too. So we're going to dive into all of that and more here in the main portion and extra ice sessions of the show. But first, we start as always with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of. St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com.
1: Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and we have to talk about our friends up north, that is the Ottawa Senators, um, officially for sale um the Eugene Melnick uh time is gone obviously um supposedly worth 660 million US dollars about 700 million is what they expect uh to be sold for mm-hmm. um now the condition of the sale is that the senators must stay in Ottawa which I think is great um couple of names have been floated around there, Noah, uh, one being uh, Ryan Reynolds is a potential uh, <laughs> interested party. And mind you, he and uh, Rob McElhenney already own a soccer club over in Europe. So he already has pro sports ownership experience yeah. and uh, being a, a fellow Canadian. I thought uh, that's kind of interesting you know, if, if that is actually a, a name that actually has some traction to it. But nonetheless, um, this whole thing came about. Um, after Eugene Melick passed away last year, um, uh, his, I think wife now, um, uh, Anna and Olivia Melick, or maybe his kids, um, inherited it after he passed away. Um, now here's, what's interesting. Um, Ottawa's national capital commission, cause there's been talk about the arena. The arena is outdated. Um, the, we're talking the Canadian tire center, um, definitely has already been in talks for years. Um, ask the Calgary Flames fans how arena talks have been going lately. Uh, a memorandum of understanding what the senators uh, and other investors in June uh, signed it for a new downtown arena, uh, but nothing official yet. So when we talk about a memorandum of understanding, it actually means jack crap. It just says, <laughs> this is what we want. We're going to put it on paper. So there's a record of it. Yeah. But there's no legally binding like – commitment to either side of that it yeah so this is what we want well the issue is um you know the canadian
0: tire center wh- which used to be um scotia uh yep it uh it's not actually in ottawa it's 20 minutes outside of ottawa in canada ontario so um well, also arizona fans would uh would know the the struggle yeah i said 20 minutes not uh, 20 states away um uh, yeah. but um you know with that being said uh, their biggest issue um for a long time was their on ice product. And it was partially hindered by the spending or lack thereof for this organization. Um, They've really kind of turned things around. In fact, I would be very curious um, to see how successful they have been here this season. I mean, they're looking for that new arena. Like you talked about uh, Eastern conference, they are, and they are a bubble well, team. I think. Well, they were doing good, and then suddenly that they they've struggled. They're four and three in their last ten, so they're actually second to last in the East. Um, they were doing really well, um, and have really kind of slid off the table in the past week. But nonetheless, I think that they're still, um. Uh, a lot of turnaround they do have a couple of key injuries that are important to note as well too but uh yeah they certainly do need a new arena at some point because i think canada is just it's a hard place to get to and hard to get to that building and it's just kind of out of the way of everything in terms of you know trying to get fans into that building very easily
1: so um yeah but nonetheless it's uh yeah what's up and speaking of which, I don't know if we covered this last week, Noah, about the Arizona Coyotes update um, from the City Council of Tempe. Uh, being that the latest development may be that the City Council may actually put it as a referendum, meaning the City Council is not going to decide the fate of the Arizona Coyotes. It actually will be the residents of Tempe. Because um, yeah. there will be some public money, I believe, that goes into Because this is yeah. a whole... Uh, district essentially, so it's restaurants, buildings, I think apartments, plus the uh, yeah. the arena being the centerpiece. Uh, so just wanted to note that since we're talking about arenas, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, I yeah, we think we covered that last week. Or yeah, we did. We did. yeah, we, we did. talked about
0: we talked about how they okay. we expected the actual residents to be part of that voting process and that okay. sort of thing with that huge complex. But it's a good reminder, obviously, yep. you know, maybe a potential precedent for Ottawa moving forward. Could but uh, kind of interesting for uh, Anna and Olivia, imagine inheriting an entire franchise and being able to sell it that's not a bad uh chunk of change they might end up getting for that uh 700 million dollars is actually ranks 27th in the league in terms of uh, valuation for an organization so kind of interesting there um but yeah that's all we've got on that. Our last topic, very quickly, a couple of injuries, and we are out of here. Uh, Seth Jones for the Chicago Blackhawks, out three to four weeks with a thumb injury. Alex Daylock um, was out the other day, too. And then I think mm-hmm. their third-string goalie also got hurt the other night, too. So That's Hawks, Struth, man? Yeah, well, yep. Hawks... Um, Hawks are, they've already gone through, I think it's five goaltenders or they're on their fifth yeah. goaltender already this season, which is kind of crazy. I believe the NHL record is eight. And I believe it was the year that Devin Dubnyk came in. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's, um, I mean, Hawks might get there by <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Jeez the way that this is going but uh, nonetheless Seth Jones will be out with a thumb injury for at least a month Anaheim's Jamie Drysdale in the back end out four to six months with a torn labrum that one's tough to see and then Tampa Bay defenseman Victor Hedman day to day with an upper body ailment Welcome in episode 136 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant, that's me, joined by Nick Maxson on the left of me, if you're looking on the YouTube page or on both sides, I guess, if you're listening to the audio version, depending on uh, headphones or not. But anyhow, I digress. Nick, it was a it was a crazy week around uh, the college hockey world. Um, A lot of it seems to be a broken record as of late. You know, I don't see this changing. I mean, it's just I, I don't know if the parody has gotten better or like, maybe we're finally starting to see that moment where, you know, players aren't kept because there's not enough scholarship room. You've held off this group of freshmen for an extra year to let some guys finish out their fifth year because of COVID rules or transfer rules and this and that, Um, you know, and I think maybe we're finally starting to see some of these freshmen who have gotten an extra year of development in the NOL, the USHL, wherever they might've played, they're all coming in and really kind of putting teams that we thought were going to be good um, maybe on the back burner because they didn't bring those guys in, and then teams that brought those guys in suddenly making some noise and we didn't expect them
1: to do that. It's it's a very curious case, Noah, right? So when we look at the state of college hockey, we're still into I think this is year three of where that extra COVID eligibility c- could, be, uh, uh, could be executed essentially. Yeah. Um, I think it's a multitude of things. I think that the game is growing. I, I do think that the more veteran presence around college hockey teams is part of that. Again, COVID having a major part in that. And I just think that y- you don't have, you know, besides Michigan and maybe some of the top, but there really isn't a team that's out there that is just dominating. Yeah. You do have some you do have some some top teams for sure, but I don't think um, it's just a deeper level this year, um, which is you, great. You haven't met Harvard, apparently, at two and zero. I haven't. Holy cow! Actually, I think they won. Um, what am I doing? The other night, <laughs> they're three and zero. I think now. <laughs> good for them. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's good for the game.
0: Yeah, um, you know. And- Oh, go I was ahead. I was just going to ask. Speaking of good for the game, my um my play by play voice for the Toros this past weekend or two weekends ago, we were driving down to Bismarck, and he asked me a question that I just kind of thought of. Um, speaking of the transfer portal, and it was an interesting mm-hmm. question because we've got about two years left for that incoming freshman class during the COVID year, the first year that that happened to yep. be graduate transfers, basically. Correct. And he said, "Do you think the transfer portal will ever go back?" And is it good or detrimental to the game? And his argument was, he said, you should get one free undergrad transfer and one and one grad transfer. You do. You used to not get that though. Didn't matter. Didn't matter where you were transferring. You had to sit a year. Yep. Do you think, do you think that the transfer portal will ever go back to the way that it was? Or do you think there's going to be some hybrid style? Because right now, theoretically, and there's some guys who have done this, you could play
1: for five different teams if you wanted to. You know, you know, I don't know if we know that answer yet, but if you're looking at the conversation we're having today, and if you're sitting in, you know, the college hockey offices somewhere, probably all East because, you know, Midwest kind of stuff, right? Um, (laughs) They think they're better, of course, but um, you have to like what you see. And at the end, at the end of the day, the player kind of has the risk of the transfer portal, right? Because we looked at the transfer portal, Uh, just before training camps were starting with NC. And there was still a lot of names that hadn't been picked up. There's a lot of players who have done that and have lost their scholarship even if
0: they came back or they don't get picked up by somebody. Right.
1: So at the end of the day, I don't know how college hockey is going to look at this moving forward because from what we see, the results on ice is actually good. Um, I think that the player should have – the ability to choose once. I do like the one for undergrad and the one for graduate school. I think that's fine. Um, Because it kind of marries the best of both worlds. You get into a situation where you're recruited, and I get it. A lot of teams spend countless time, countless money and energy in recruiting these players. We'll just say that it's just not the right fit. Or player had one expectation and then ends up being a different one. I I get that happens, right? So – it's a good check and balance. And I don't think it's extreme one way or the other. Yeah. If it were me, I keep it the way it is. Uh, Because again, when, when players feel like they have the right to go where they want to go, teams feel like they can go in and grab players that are essentially in the transfer pool to maybe add a piece or two. Um, It's sort of like, well, Shall we say pro off off season style a little bit, you know, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. It makes it very fun for us to cover
0: it. Right. Um, yes. But then he brought up the argument because I kind of said the same thing and he brought up the argument. He said, well, what about a team like Dartmouth or Merrimack who just swept BC for the first time in 25 years? We'll get to that sure. in just a few moments. What if they have a standout stud who they've been waiting for some guy to build the program around? Mm hmm. He's gone the next year because some big team picks him up. You know what I mean? And some of these other teams might pick up, like let's say somebody that went to Michigan who didn't play a whole lot and now they've got a good top-line guy. But then other guys who they developed really well there and then they're like, no, I want to go play at Duluth. I want to go play at North Dakota. I want to go play away from here. And those programs that are in the lower echelon don't get a chance to bolster sure. their ranks back up. It's an interesting conversation. I like I like. He asked me the question and at first. I was like, I don't know, what do I think of the transfer portal?
1: And then it was like, well, this is actually kind of a curious double-edged sword. It is a double-edged sword because <laughs> let's, let's take that same argument, right? A uh, kid who plays highly talented skill, Goes to say, uh, let's to, let's actually take Vermont, for example, because they're actually going to have this situation in front of their docket probably next season with a lot of really good recruits coming in. Right? Great hockey rink, by the way. Great hockey rink. <laughs> and with the new coaching and and the, the organization seems to have a little bit new uh you know breath of life. Uh yeah. here's the thing. Let's just say that some of these freshmen come in, they go through a season, and they're like, This wasn't what I wanted. There is Still, the risk to the player, I will still own that. That say, Michigan comes in and says, "Hey, we like what your skill is. We'll we'll give you second line minutes." Let's say that you go into a star studded Michigan roster, and all of a sudden you're playing fourth line minutes. And now that player's own development, because he thought the grass is greener than the on the other side, isn't quite what he expected. Yeah. So there's still in there. It's never a linear equation right there's always there's there's nothing that's guaranteed so I don't know if it's as you know I don't know if it's as straightforward as he makes it sound I get his concern and I think there is a valid concern there I just don't know if we can lay that very generalized fear and I don't think it's applicable for every single team every single player
0: yeah yeah, it's just an interesting conversation. Um, We'd love to know what you think. Find us at Warming House Dan on Twitter, Um, huskieswarminghousepodcast.com. We'd love to hear what you think as fans. It's a very interesting conversation that I think is. Or here's what you do. Maybe you say you have to at least play two years. That's what I said too. I said you, you have to be an upperclassman to make the move. Right. But then, but then he's like, well, if you give them one free transfer, what's the difference? Because they only get one, you know, and then they can do it for their graduate year. If, Like I said, you know, if you're playing for. Dartmouth for four years and then Duluth is like, we really like your game. Would you consider coming for a fifth year, going to graduate school? You know, there's a lot of process mm-hmm. that goes behind that, which I'm okay with. Right. Um, but uh yeah. Well, how about graduating to the big leagues here? We'll start around the NCAA, non-NCHC schedule here. Uh Big Ten, Michigan State sweeping Wisconsin this weekend. Uh, no shock. Great weekend for them. Five nothing and five one. Well, you say no shock, but like this Wisconsin team swept Duluth. Like things are weird. Um <laughs> Duluth has not been the team that we had predicted they were going to be either yeah um but like i mean they they at least were 500 this weekend we'll get to that obviously oh, but geez. uh well i mean they they did what they had to do in that in fact the the second game was a wild hockey game uh was there. Hockey game. Yep. Um, minnesota sweeping at notre dame i thought this was going to be a little bit closer than it was four to one and three I to agree. nothing yep. um this notre dame team might not be as strong as we anticipated this penn state team is much stronger than we yeah. thought. Yeah. Three to three to nothing victory on Friday and losing four to three. They were down three nothing on Saturday against the Michigan Wolverines and clawed their way back and almost tied that hockey game up. Um Big Ten offering a lot of intrigue. I I mean I know I would say Minnesota is certainly a big dog. Um, I would say Michigan is certainly a big dog still. Um Penn State might be right Penn there. Penn State might be right there. Ohio State might be mm-hmm. right there too.
1: Um kind of hard to predict the top three here. I'm not sure if there is really a top three. This, it, there may be a little bit more parity in the Big Ten than we probably anticipated. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to yeah. say. And it's, it's again, we said this before. It's still early.
0: It's Still yeah, early. It is still early. Well, tell Max Beach and the Bulldogs that, because um, <laughs> uh, that's he knows. <laughs> that's all they're <laughs> clinging on to right now. Uh, CCHA 2.0. We had five matchups that we're going to get to in this one: Michigan Tech and Bowling Green. Tech won three to two and six to one. On um, this Bowling Green team. Uh, Yeah, just kind of bouncing around here a little bit. It's uh, been kind of interesting for them. Like I said, I, I, I see them as a dark horse team when it come to tournament time. In the CCHA, um, I think anything is kind of that's a conference where anything kind of feels like it's up for grabs. Like in the NCHC, it's hard if you're a six or seven seed to do a whole lot of damage. In the Big Ten, Mm -hmm. it can be hard if you're that last seed to try to do a lot of damage. CCHA is a whole different ballgame. The top five or six teams, I think, all have a shot when it comes to the CCHA. So Michigan Tech, um, pretty decent hockey team this season already, though, I would say. They've had a really good start to the year. Um, This one was a... Pretty heavyweight tilt this weekend. Ferris State, Bemidji State, two to two in overtime in night number one, and then BSU two to one in overtime in night number two. Um, Bemidji, of course, beating our Saint Cloud State Huskies on Friday night last weekend. Um, this Ferris State team, I don't think, is that strong, but they seem to give teams a run for their money uh, at various points during the season. I, you know, uh, anything you wanted to know. For Bemidji State, you mean? Yeah. Is there anything, or do you want me to move on to the next one? I mean, for no. Some, uh, yeah. Bemidji State is curious.
1: <laughs> they're a head scratcher because yeah. when, I mean, granted, they lost some pretty big names to the transfer portal. I've seen in, transfer in some portal. pretty big games or names as well. Uh, what yeah. was it? Jackson Judding? Jackson that- Judding, yep. Yeah. From, uh, from North Dakota, right? Am I? CC, wasn't it? CC, that's right. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Let me look. <laughs> I'm but, sure. I'm sure I got it wrong. But let's see. <laughs> but and here's where Bemidji State might be able to do something here. Um, being in the CCHA, um, it's not at least right now. There, there doesn't seem to be the big dog, yeah. shall we say, in the CCHA. I mean, Minnesota State still, I think, is the strongest team, but they're definitely not as dominant as they were last year. Yeah. But Mitchie state is four two into the 24th in the pairwise right now. If yeah. they can, you know, keep a good conference record, they, they could be sneaky into that, you know, yeah. whole sort of territory. And I, their,
0: their thing that kind of the victory against St. Cloud will certainly help if the Huskies yep. have the year that it seems like they might. Um, Strength of schedule is the only thing that really hurts them. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Jackson Jennings, by the way, it was two years at CC before heading to Bemidji. So I'm surprised that I remember that one. Um, he's um, from Savage, Minnesota. Is there uh, any recent Saint Cloud State Husky that you remember from Savage? Gonna show them. Yeah. Well, I was going to say Jack, but yeah, um, <laughs> both of them. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. Curious for this Bemidji State team. Uh, will that defensive structure bring them to the promised land? That's the big thing. They're not going to be a heavy offensive hitter. They need games like this, two to two, two to they one. Do. This is a very prototypical um, run for them. That's, Minnesota, uh, that's Thomas territory of hockey for sure. Yeah, certainly is. Minnesota State. Uh, we thought the ten to two victory over Saint Thomas was prototypical for them. To, you know, considering how good we thought they were going to be. Four to three victory in night number two. Saint Thomas made this one very interesting, and we were all mm-hmm. cheering along Ryan Steeg's Tommies uh, and hoping that they would get a victory. I think
1: yeah, and and again, St. Thomas, they, they still are a, a program that's building. They still yeah. lack the you know the the skill that uh, some of these other cl- more established clubs have, but you know they they're not going down without a fight. That's the biggest difference we're noticing this year. Uh, Noah, is that I think last year, yeah, uh, we saw the forty-minute hockey game with St. Thomas, where they were sort of in it for two periods, and then the sort of the wheels came off. Uh, St. Thomas has given teams a sixty-minute push. Yeah, um, again, they're they're not you know up there in terms of having the depth that uh, they need to maybe complete some of those comebacks or get ahead of their opponents that are better than them. Um, but they're certainly working hard. They're skating to the full sixty, and they're they're making teams earn. Those victories for a full sixty, rather than last year, where I think, um, as I said, there was sort of like this, just not complete games just as of yet.
0: Yeah, their culmination last year was that game where they almost took one in the playoffs against, uh, you know, the same Mankato Mavericks. But, you mm-hmm. know, before that, there wasn't really anything that you went, wow, you know, like, holy, right. holy crap, versus this year. It's like, oh, St. Thomas, you know, a couple of overtime games, one against Penn State, right, you know, and you yep. feel like they're maybe going to get a bounce here and uh, maybe kind of turn the tide a little bit. So that program, like you mentioned, still in the early stages, but we're starting to see some of those – uh those uh, cherry trees start to blossom a little bit early for this team, which is very exciting. Uh, Northern Michigan university, a sweep of Lake Superior state 4 one and five, three this weekend. And then non-conference Alaska Anchorage and air force matching up air force, getting both of these five to three and three to one. Anchorage has always been a curious case for me. A couple of victories Mm -hmm. from this season that have uh, certainly turned some heads. ECAC, the only, um, Matchup that we have this week, we do have one Cornell and Quinnipiac. Of course, Cornell um, getting swept in some tight contests against Duluth last weekend. Quinnipiac a split against North Dakota. Quinnipiac winning two to nothing in that one. So, both of those teams maybe somewhat evenly matched as we go through. Uh mm-hmm. Hockey East, another team that is kind of slowly entering the fold as a team to watch here in the East that is Merrimack. Yes. Sleeping Boston College for the first time uh, in 25 years. They had a great weekend last weekend, uh 3 to 1 on night number 2 and 5 to 2 last night. Um East gets even more interesting. This Connecticut team, UConn Sweeps mm-hmm. for them, 3-2 and 3-2 first night in overtime against Maine, who um maybe isn't the strongest opponent. But this UConn team continues to roll in the pair-wise, Nick. And this UMass team uh in Hockey East, the Minutemen struggling a little bit here in some facets, uh, getting swept by Providence this weekend, 7-4 and 4-3 in overtime. Uh, Hockey East has always been the curious case where when we get to tournament time, we go, oh, there's going to be... You know, three or four or five from the Big Ten or the NCHC respectively. And then you're gonna have to fill out the rest of the crowd with your auto bid from Atlantic hockey and your auto bid from the ECAC. But hockey east here, they might pull three or four candidates they this might. year, Nick. I mean, they um they've had some teams that did really well in non-conference schedule early. Um still gotta be very impressed with all three of these uh groups, Providence, of course, this last weekend, but this UConn team <laughs>
1: Yeah, they're turning heads, they right? Keep going, man. Um, hockey East, shall we say, has been sort of um, a little bit of a downstretch the last few seasons. And uh, let's just say that uh, that's a prideful um, hockey conference. Yeah. Uh, and so when you take a look at the Paralyzed, right? So uh, Providence, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Boston University, six through eight or sorry, five through eight there in the pairwise. So, you know, granted, uh, a lot of things can change, um, but starts are so important for pairwise positioning. Um, So if you can get at least a little bit of, you know, a foundation laid and from what we've seen, again, Connecticut, Uh, when we think that there may be a flash in the pan, uh, they're they're sticking around. Same thing with uh, Providence. Uh, The Friars doing some really good things so far at 6-2-1. And And then uh, UMass, again, there's still a good hockey team. Boston University having a bit of a resurgence. Uh, But once we get to conference play, uh, that's where these four will probably end up separating themselves or climbing the ladder, shall we say. But I do think there's a strong case to be made for a couple of teams out out of hockey East for sure. Well, we'll see who can catch Harvard in the number one spot. Um, (laughs)
0: With that being said, the only other non-conference Saturday, Sunday matchup. So we won't have game number two, but four, three AIC over RIT. Just something to note, some common opponents in that one. What's on tap for all these conferences heading into next week, Ohio state travels Thursday, Friday to Michigan state. So, Keep an eye on that one. This Michigan state team had a good weekend. i have to see if they're they kind did. of the real deal or if OSU um, can write the ship uh, or not really write the ship. They didn't play last weekend. So um, see how they handle that test. Uh, Penn state, Minnesota Thursday, Friday, that is must watch hockey. I think
1: the Nittany yes. lions here. Um, they're, they're a boom yeah. bus team. Uh, they can either catch a sleep. Um, they're fast. Uh, they throw pucks on net from just about anywhere. They're averaging what 35 or 36 shots a game. Um, and they're, they're playing just kind of gritty, greasy hockey, you know, they're they're not maybe the most flashy, uh, they do have some skill, but they're playing a very sort of, uh, shall we say, yeah, Dave Shayak brain of hockey, just throw the puck to that and then just go towards the net and try to bury those, uh, extra chances. So they're, they're scary right now. Yeah, I certainly would agree.
0: It should be good. Again, Thursday, Friday for that matchup. Don't forget that. Keep that in mind. Michigan will travel to Notre Dame this weekend and then we'll get to Wisconsin. They are playing an independent team at the bottom of this list. Uh oh, St. Tom- Thomas, St. Thomas. St. Thomas travels to Bowling Green. Um should be interesting, this, That's bowling, an interesting matchup. this bowling green team has kind of like you said kind of been up and down so can st thomas catch them on a night or two this weekend have to pay attention to that one lake superior state will travel to michigan tech i'm curious to see if the huskies um from up there in houghton michigan can continue their recent trend of good play and see if they are uh, somewhat the real deal a little bit here in the ccha at least to start here and then bemidji state will travel to northern michigan hockey eastwise um bu is at and verse umass this weekend so a couple of teams teams that have had some up and down seasons to start here. Uh we'll take a look at them. Um you're giving me the deer and headlights look. Did I do something wrong? No. <laughs> Just space it out. I'm spacing um, out man. Well you it's, know what it's, it's hey, been a long weekend. Hey, if you want to space out when we talk about UMass, feel free by all means, Nick. Um yep. you know I know it's it's hard to take in the state of hockey out there. Um, Maine Merrimack might up. miss it on the drive. So, <laughs> well, at least it's not flat like uh, America's wasteland. Uh, Maine Merrimack next weekend. Maine will be headed, uh, on the road there. I'm um, curious to see how Merrimack trends this weekend and see if they can get a couple of victories. Similar Should. opponent. Well, similar opponent to UConn, and it was both yeah. one-goal hockey game. So. Um, and then UConn is at Inverse Providence, who, of course, had UMass last weekend. So, again, a lot of common opponents coming into the fold here during conference play. Um, hockey East, a bit of an intrigue here this year. Uh, Atlantic Hockey, Bentley and Air Force matching up. Don't forget Bentley, a couple of key victories for them this year, especially their mm-hmm. opener against Ohio State. Air Force victories against Colorado College, a couple of other common opponents. So pay attention to that one at Atlantic Hockey. Then Independence Anchorage is headed down uh, to Arizona State to play the Sun Devils. And then uh, Long Island University is traveling to Wisconsin to play the Badgers. So see how LIU LIU does on the road. Of course, LIU, common opponent of the Omaha Mavericks uh, a couple weekends ago. So uh, pay attention to that one. NCHC roundup here, let's get to it here. This is much easier to do when all the teams play each other, Nick. I got to be honest with you. Um usually. Let's start with uh Miami Western Michigan. Western Michigan 7 to 1 and 5 to 2. Good little stretch for them. No real surprise there. This Broncos no. team I think is pretty decent this season. Miami though is still I think making strides. I'm curious to see how they do in next week's matchup, but again, the Red Hawks um, like to would just love to see them get some traction in the NCHC again. It would nice. just yeah. feel really nice another team has figured out that formula a little bit here, Nick uh, five to nothing victory in night. Number one for the Colorado college Tigers for, for whatever reason, we've embraced them wholeheartedly and uh, three to one loss on night. Number two to Duluth. This, these are both at Ed Robeson arena and the game winning goal came with like a minute and a half left in that hockey game, plus an empty netter at the end of that one. So mm-hmm. um, CC
1: almost pushing that one to overtime and getting a point at least as well too. So yeah, um, that's been CC's trend this year. They've been yeah. really good on Fridays. Just can't find the energy or yeah. whatever it is to replicate it on Saturdays. Great, at, uh, great at home, too. Really good at home. So they'll have to find some magic on the road, um, and they'll have to find a way to get their Saturdays better. If they're able to do a, one of those two, uh, they're in the middle of the pack of the NCHC. Again, we we see the development there. Uh, again, CC, what eight nothing Arizona State, five nothing UMD. They're scoring goals. Yeah. Something they've had some trouble with the last few seasons. So yeah, they're making they, progress.
0: They certainly have, dude. Like I said, I I want this. Their home jerseys, those home whites, just look so sick too. I mean, they, the,
1: and the new golds look really nice too.
0: Yeah, they do. They're so really, really, um, nice. they really need to find some traction on the road. I believe they're on the road next weekend. So um, you know, they need to figure that out for sure if they're gonna have any success in the NCHD. But like I said, when I look at six, seven, eight in this conference, I'm having a tough time figuring out who that's gonna be, Nick. When mm-hmm. I'm looking at one, two, three in this conference, I'm having a tough time figuring out who that's going to be. There's some teams that you look at that you can say, yeah, we expect them to be somewhere in the middle, three to six, you know, somewhere um, Duluth might fit that mold very well right now. Um, mm-hmm. And as a team that we don't know where they're going to be, but we can give a pretty good range. Um, can we say one through eight? Um, anyway, uh, with that being said, North Dakota traveled to Baxter arena in Omaha, North Dakota winning four to one in night number one and Nebraska Omaha winning in the shootout four to three at night number two. A uh, great win for the Mavs here.
1: Uh, kind of stealing a couple points from North Dakota this weekend. The Mavs over the last little bit have given you fit. defeat. Yeah. They have, especially up at uh uh REA. It's it's one of those just buildings that Omaha just finds an extra gear. Uh for whatever reason. Uh it, it, they just don't make it easy for the fighting hawks and uh, you just it, it's kind of curious right now you always have like those away buildings where it's almost like you're in the Ralph uh, you you know the atmosphere it's almost like it's in the opposing player you just kind of get this extra You're like I really want to shut this fan base down or I just really want to come in and you know really take the crowd out of it for whatever reason you UNO just seems to have some magic there at that the Ralph and uh, for us other NCHC opponents good to see
0: yeah, I'm trying to think it was uh, two, maybe three years ago where North, swept Dakota, them. Yeah, well, North Dakota was basically unbeatable at home. And uh, Omaha went in there and they took not only that, but I think they took three of four uh, from mm-hmm. North Dakota that year. I mean, it was a great showing for them. So, uh, yeah, this Maverick team, again, a lot of intrigue in the NCHC. You never know what you're going to get on any given night. And that's what makes mm-hmm. it one of, if not the best uh, conference in college hockey. Last matchup couple of the big dogs here. Uh, St. Cloud State traveling to Magnus Arena in Denver. Nick, the Huskies finally did it at night number one, yeah. vindicating some demons. It was an eight-game losing streak at Magnus yes. Arena before. Um, 2016. Yes, that is correct. Uh, St. Cloud State 4-3 to three in overtime and then 3-2 to two, um, losing uh, to DU in night number two. So um, a great comeback in night number one. It was some fantastic hockey back and forth. Really, the entire weekend was some great really? hockey. And I think that this St. Cloud team, you know, the, the fear was that they were going to go into this building and have at least one night, if not both of them, where the goal spread was high. Mm-hmm. And they weren't able to kind of stave off the onslaught, so to speak. Right. They showed me a team that was calm, cool, composed, and poised to at least take a couple of points out of this weekend. Theoretically, Denver <laughs> theoretically, theoretically left with, wow, um, uh, <laughs> theoretically left with an extra point. Um uh, all things considered, uh, the way that the point breakdown shook out. But nonetheless, let's start uh, with Friday here before Nick uh, um, coughs up a lung. Uh, Yami Kranilis, I got one left, so. <laughs> yeah. Yami Kranilis, uh, um third of the season from Chase Brent and Zach Okabi got a storm. The scoring started in period number one. Um, Denver University um, tying the game in the first period as well. And then grabbing one in period number two for a two to one edge heading into period number three. Grant Cruikshank, a laser. Yeah. His seventh of the season bar down. What a shot this was uh, from Dylan Unreal. Anhorn and
1: Micah Miller in period number three. I mean, a great one-time shot um, from the bumper there. And what, and what about that play from Dylan Anhorn to step up, uh, go down the half wall, and then Crookshank finding that soft spot, too. Just a sort of nice, nice uh, overall uh, exchange between those two as well. Yeah, it was a really nice play. Denver, uh, with only a couple minutes remaining in period number three,
0: looked like, we were supposed to have um, a DU victory. It looked like they were ready to take it home, that sort of thing. Not to be. Extra attacker goal for the Huskies' Zach Okabe's fifth of the season from Spencer Meyer and Jack Peart. A nice little gritty uh, one-time opportunity that was blocked and then the rebound puck on that in the back of the net uh, to tie that game with just over a minute to play. I mean, headed to overtime and Vietti his third of the season from Grant Cruikshank, a nice crossing pattern zone entry uh, yep. passed by Jack Peart on the secondary assist in overtime uh, shots on goal, 27, 25 in favor of Denver uh, faceoffs, 28 for 56, both teams, exactly 50% on draws and night. Number one penalty kill was two for two and power play. I believe was two for two for the or, Sorry, over 2 for the Huskies um, in night number one. I don't think anybody had a uh, power play goal in night number one. And Jackson Castor, 24 saves on 27 shots in night number one. Nick, I want to talk about something because, um, yeah. you know, that's what we do on the show. Because uh, we talked about it on Twitter a little bit, and I, I appreciate the response um, um, from more clappers and a lot of the other people who are talking about the game winner on Friday night um, and specifically. And I'm sure you got a chance to see that that game and got a chance to see, see that game winner. Um, and talking about three three overtime in the back check of Carter Mazer, who, of course, was a U.S. national development player, uh, played a boatload of minutes in that hockey game, and I think was out for pretty much the entire overtime in that I think game. He was, too, yep. So, Nick, there's uh, two camps. There's Noah Grant, and then there's everybody else. Um, are we shocked? Uh, but my no, my, point, no. my, arg- my argument was that, uh, I mean, nice crossing pattern that allowed separation for Vieti Mietnin to have an extra three feet of space to rip that puck home, blocker mm-hmm. side high for the game winner on the zone entry. Uh, Carter Mazer probably close enough to maybe disrupt that play when Miettinen comes through. He's covering his man coming through on the back check. How did you see this play? Was Carter Mazur, was he out of position, or was he, was he not putting in the effort to disrupt a play? Was he right where he was supposed to be? How did you interpret this goal? If you're, if you're David Carl and you're breaking down this video, how
1: do you interpret it? <sighs> I, I wish the video, I wish we could see the shift um, time for, for him because it looked like, to me, the guy was out of gas. Yeah. Um, and positioning was fine but you know, there's, there's executing. Right. And, and again, in the game of hockey, we talk about how at every level you get better, Noah, that, that time and space, that half second is a lot more than, and it actually has a more impact to go against you, especially in the defensive side of things. Um, If you, um, if you let them have it, right. And we know VD Miettinen does not need a whole lot of time or space. He's got the release and, you know, If you're an opposing player and you're looking at the three that are on there, you got to know that one guy is going to, you know, the shooter, right? Now, granted, Crookshank has been a stalwart for this club early on. In fact, I'm a little worried that Crookshank at some point um, is going to end up getting in a dry streak because you have to pay attention to him, right? Yeah. Um, But to me, I saw a guy that, I I get it. You're seeing a guy that's not moving his feet. I think that's yeah. the, that was the biggest thing that people took from it is, uh, that's a lazy back check. Uh, he could have gone in there. Um, well, let's not forget to Carter Mazur, newest national development program. He's got the smarts. He's got the skill. I just think he was gassed. I, yeah. I really do think so, he was
0: gassed. So, and again, my argument with this, so I'm curious to see if you agree or disagree here. Um, my argument was, you know, yeah. Could he have committed and tried to, you know, make a play on me at sure. um, But if Mietin pulls him out of position, then he's leaving his man wide open. And three-on-three is man-on-man hockey. Do you feel like, even though he was gassed, do you feel like he was still in the right position when it came to three-on-three overtime? You know, in between the man and the puck carrier, even though he was gassed? Like, like if you're David Carl, do you look at that and say, okay, he didn't disrupt the play, but he's in the appropriate position? Not that it's any consolation, because the puck ended up in the back of the net. We know that. Defenseman Mm -hmm. got caught a little bit too deep covering me yet and on that crossing pattern but do you look at carter mazer like would it be cause for concern where you would mention hey you need to move your feet you need to make a play here or do you say i mean it wasn't your guy is there an argument to say it wasn't your guy you you were playing man
1: on man you know like you have to trust your teammate to make a play how do you interpret that i'm trying to find the um the video to, to kind of read yeah if if you end up if you end up oh, here, uh, we go. here yeah, it is okay. Yeah. Let me turn down the, the volume here. Yeah. We'll watch it live. So, live, so we're doing it live. <laughs> so when you, when you look at this, you know, it's two and two, it's two on two at the line. Yeah. And it's one of those curious cases where I, I think he's in the right position there. Right. Um, you always, you he's, you have to trust to make a play again, the crossing pattern. And here's what people forget. Grant Crookshank does the right thing. Yeah. Um, when he crosses over, The casual fan says, I'm trying to go around. No, he actually goes straight at the defender to essentially create almost like a pick.
0: Yeah, it's basically you're forcing, like we said, three on three is man on man. So you're forcing those two defenders to decide, do I stay with the man I'm with or do I or do I switch? And that's what that's what allows that extra three feet of space because the weak side D man, while he's the strong side D man until Christian crosses over and drops the puck and then it comes back to him and he goes, oh shit, I'm about three feet too deep.
1: Right. Yeah, And if you look at the Huskies entering the zone, right? I think the trailer was Jack Peart there, right? So yep. if we, if we pause it at the exchange between Cruikshank and Mietnin, uh Carter Mazur is actually in really good possession. Honestly, um, he's, he's a stick link, but you know, let's talk about this. If he overcommits to Miettinen, now granted Crookshank opened himself up for the one-time option. Um, there was a little bit where the Duluth defensemen did kind of come together a little bit, right? So they got a little bit too close to each other. We're having a different conversation because we're going to make Carter Mazer out to be the guy that is in the wrong anyway here. Um, if, if you're a Denver fan, which yeah. is if he overcommits and Miettinen sees all three guys are around him, he's got a small drop pass and Jack Peter has got a wide open lane to either take a shot on that or to go low to Grant Kirkshank. Either way, you have to be trustworthy there. He's in good position. I think the argument is, well, could he have disrupted a little bit? I mean, maybe. Um, But at the end of it, I don't know if I see anything really, truly wrong on that film um, for Carter Mazur in terms of what he was supposed to be doing and where his position was. I think he was in the right spot, right time. Well, Nick and I didn't talk about this pre-show, by the way. No, we didn't. I actually didn't know you were doing this. Yeah. So, so, well, shocker, right?
0: Um, Yeah. My final thought was that, you know, if – you know, if Mazer engages, let's say he tries to lift the stick and he's on the outside there and yep. Miettinen takes him and the defender with, Jack Peart is all alone in the slot. And if that puck gets through, it, you're leaving your uh, low weak side defenseman one on two Yeah, yep. exactly uh, on the weak side. So, um, yeah, just very curious to see how you saw it there. But, again, you know, perspective is everything. Like I said, it's easy to, when you slow the game down or you see how even when he was gassed, how quickly he closes – that gap Carter Mazer does, even when he's not moving his feet, think about it. When you talked about when that exchange, that drop pass was made, Mm -hmm. he's with Jack Peart, darn near the face off dot at center. Right. And by the time the play is over, he is almost at the top of the circles, right? Like, like, yeah that's like, and, that's like
1: two seconds and you know? if you want to talk about even more hockey iq as he's skating through center race carter mazer is looking around yeah again his assignment is jack Peart. he is above mm-hmm. him so he's between his goaltender and the opposing player again it's one-on-one coverage there and again you know if you're david carter looking at this i think he's in the right spot there and again Vietnam uh, what's Let's, let's say it this way. Let's see if that's Mike and Miller, a right handed shot coming yeah. through. I think Mazer has a little bit more of a play here, but because Mietten um, is a left handed shot going wide, again, you drag him. If Mietten is smart, he drags it wider again. The defenseman coming back over committing and Mazur drags away from the center of the ice. Yeah. It's a two on one for the Huskies, and it's even a more dangerous scoring chance. And Again, Miattinen. What, what a shot! What a shot! I mean, it's it's right above the pad, right above the blocker, through a screen. Uh, that's a goal scorer's goal. So, yeah. if you're going to lose on a play, there's a lot of things that the Huskies did at such a high level so quickly. Those fine details, right? Um, I don't know if Mazer yeah. is the goat here. I really is well, a good, nice, executed it's, play. It's
0: it's hard to blame the guy who's the high guy in that play. The play right. is, you know, it in some sense, it doesn't involve him because him and Jack Peart are essentially not part of the play until they want to make themselves part of the play. Like I said, if Mazer wants to try to commit, and like I said, if he lifts the stick, turns the other way, makes the play, we're going, wow, what a great player. We don't even think about it. You know, but if he, like I said, if he overcommits, Mianton gets around both of them and drops it to Jack Peart in the slot. Well, then every DU fan is going, what the hell is Carter Mazur doing? Because he left his man, you know? So, you know, hockey is not necessarily a game of the here and now. Sometimes it's one, two steps ahead in that anticipation. Three on three, very free flowing. And that's what makes it extremely exciting. Night number two on Saturday, three to two victory for the Denver Pioneers, getting the first two goals, the hockey game, one in period one and one in period number two. Then Yami Kranila in the middle of the second period, a power play goal from Jack Peart and Zach Okabia in the middle frame Duluth answering with a power play marker of their own and then Grant Crookshank um, from Team and, and Dylan Anhorn at the tail end of the game in period number three in the loss, shots 35 to 30 in favor of the Denver Pioneers. Faceoffs 27 for 69 for the Huskies, though. Yikes, uh, 39.1%. Got to clean that up, obviously. One for four in the power play, though. You like to see it. Three for four in the PK would have liked the extra kill, but is what it is. Dominic basti 32 saves, 35 shots on net. Nick, uh, night number two, little bit of a different story, but I mean, I still think a well-contested hockey game where two two good hockey teams slugging it out here.
1: It really was. Uh, Granted, I I think St. Cloud shot themselves in the foot a little bit with some of the penalties and things that they took. Uh, Again, having Cranola go out with that cross-checking major does not help at all. Um, Now, before that happened, he ended up having that one-time power play absolute snipe um, uh, into the DU net. So at the end of it, uh, it's still a really good game. I mean, again, they're both one-goal games. Yeah. Both one-goal games. Um, I I think Denver probably was a little bit more of a – they played their game a little bit better on Saturday. I think, again, and granted, St. Cloud did not make it easy for themselves either. Um, I think you take away some of those penalties, especially the major. Um, that game maybe goes the other way, maybe, but still a one-goal game. Um, I think we've learned anything with this matchup, Noah, is if we thought Denver is good, which they are, St. Cloud is right there with them. You talk yeah. about a measuring stick. This was, and these two teams are neck and neck. Yeah,
0: certainly were. Um, if you look at the NCHC standings, you wouldn't think so, but that's because uh, we are just getting started here. So uh Denver is leading the pack three and one in the season, ten points for them. Western Michigan behind with six points. The only other team to be uh undefeated in both regulation, uh excuse me, the only team to be undefeated in regulation and overtime two and zero on the season for them. Uh North Dakota one and one, getting the extra point to put them in third with four points. Minnesota Duluth CC both one and one in that four and five spot, both at three points. Huskies right behind them in six, one less point because of uh, overtime. Yeah, the overtime points that they picked up, and then uh, Omaha. So essentially, the Huskies had a win, but they lose a point because of winning in overtime instead of in regulation. Omaha uh, picking up a couple of loser points as well, to two points for them on the season, Um, and then Miami. um, Sorry, not loser points, shootout points. Get it together, yep. Noah, and then Miami in last 0 and 4 on the season. See if the Redhawks can turn it around. What's on tap in the NCHC? Omaha travels up to Duluth. Very curious to see if the Mavs can maybe pounce on a Duluth team that's reeling a little bit here. Reeling big time. Um, Colorado College will travel to Miami. Another intriguing matchup to see if the Red Hawks can bounce back or can CC finally figure out their road woes and get a couple mm-hmm. points here in the NCHC. Denver will travel to North Dakota. A couple of big big heavyweight hitters, and the Huskies doesn't get any easy for, easier for them. St. Cloud welcomes Western Michigan for their first conference home matchup of the season. Historically, have done a little bit better
1: against the Broncos at, at home. home. Yep. Um, what do you anticipate out of this matchup next? This is this is two high flying offenses right now. Um, Western Michigan again, they put up what? How many? Twelve goals this last weekend. Seven and five, I think. Or mm. I mean, it was a yeah. lot. We'll put it to you this way. Yep. Um They have quite the unique chemistry with there with how that team is constructed right now. Um, they've got speed. They've got skill, They got a little bit of grit and sandpaper um, They're, I think they're more dangerous than people I'll give them credit for. Um, again, last year um, rode the wave all the way to the NCAA tournament, getting in their first ever appearance. And when um, right. now granted Western Michigan, uh, This is their only time that St. Cloud will see in this year. Thank goodness. Um, And it's also at home, which helps. But uh, it's this. Yeah, I think for the Huskies, the big thing here was going to be defensive structure. If you can slow down and maybe start to frustrate Western Michigan, you're going to have last change. You'll be able to get the matchups that you want. Um, That should help. But uh, this one, if it gets free flowing again, the Olympic sheet. So you have a lot more room out there. uh, This could end up being a high scoring series. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you know, the question is, uh, who wins the goaltending battle here, I feel
0: like, because mm-hmm. Western Michigan, you know, they've gotten goaltending early, but they've also had a couple of games where they made it a little interesting that loss against Anchorage, obviously, earlier in the season where they outshot their opponents but couldn't, you know, buy a bounce in that one. This Bronco team, I think it, we talked about how difficult they are to get a read on. We picked them to finish fifth in the NCHC, Duluth that finished third. Now that might be a little bit flip-flopped here to start the season mm-hmm. as well, too. So um, it's a very intriguing matchup. What do you predict will be the outcome here? Do you think the Huskies come away with a sweep? Do you think the Broncos come in and take all the points? Do
1: you think we have overtime? Do we get a split? What do you think? I, I think it's a split series. Uh, I think St. Claude wins Friday. I think Western Michigan bounces back on Saturday. I do think they're going to be a little bit more high scoring, like four, three. I think they're going to be one goal games. I don't see overtime in this series. I do think it's going to be one team that finds their game kind of controls uh, that game. So um, I'm going to split and regulation wins for both squads. Yeah. I like that
0: breakdown as well. Well, let's talk about breakdowns. Let's talk about the pair wise here. Very quickly here. Um, everyone's favorite. Harvard is still at, at the number one spot. The Huskies at eight and two are still clinging on to spot number two and the team they just played the Denver pioneers right behind them in number three at seven and three Uh very fair. I Good think it's spot very, to be very yep. appropriate. Um, Penn State at nine and one is in four. Um, Penn State certainly a top five team right now. You can't argue that with the past couple of weekends they've had, at least, you know, as of now. Providence in fifth, a little bit interesting there. Uh, UConn in sixth, UMass in seventh, which is very confusing to me because they have not had the greatest uh start. Anyway, uh BU in eight. Uh also curious. They're four and three. Um, Minnesota is ninth. I feel like the gophers maybe should be a little bit higher, maybe in like six or seven. That's is that fair. Is that fair to say. Yeah. Minnesota, Ohio State, Michigan all together, I would I would flip-flop the hockey East teams besides uh Yukon. Yeah. yeah, besides Yukon. Yeah, so um number uh 12 is UMass Lowell, uh, Minnesota State, 13 Quinnipiac, 14 Western is at 15 at Michigan State at 16 Tech, Sacred Heart, Merrimack, Northeastern. So certainly some sorting out to be done here. I think North Dakota for NCHC teams is at 23. Miami is at 28, um, which is good for them. Bemidji State's at 24, um, by the way, with Notre Dame behind North Dakota. Uh, Omaha's at 33. Duluth is right next to them at 34. Uh, And then Colorado College is at 45, which surprises me a little bit, to be honest with you. I figured they would be a little bit higher. Um, they are right next to Wisconsin this season. So um, St. Thomas, uh, well ahead of a lot of these teams in the pack here. Uh, not a whole lot to go through in the pairwise here, Nick. No, uh, just a t- quick take. Is there is there anything you wanted to add here that you know? Well, again,
1: you know, I mentioned before the pairwise, it's good, you know, getting established early helps a lot. So for St. Cloud, they might bounce up and down here and there. Um, but being in that, you know, top five, top 10. Um, if you can get there and stay there towards the, you know, at least get through, through the holiday break, um, then you start to see where, and this is where the NCHC becomes tough. Right. Um, if you can keep established, your, I mean, that's kind of what floated them a little bit last year was their good non-conference record. It was another good one. This, uh, this last, uh, season here. So right. um, they're in a good spot, but it doesn't get any easier from here. So, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Again, there could be, There could be some topsy turv moves with hockey East being on there because we haven't seen them there in quite some time. At least the number of teams.
0: Yeah, certainly would agree. Men's hockey heating up around the NCAA world. WCHA women on the other side. Sacred Heart traveling to Mankato for some non-conference action. The Mavs getting both of those four to one and five to one. Ohio State Saturday Sunday matchup against Saint Thomas. Ohio winning four to nothing in day number one. Excuse me. So uh, game number two. is going to be played today. So we don't have an answer on that one. Duluth traveling to Minnesota. This Bulldogs team has been given some of these high-end teams fits. And the Huskies mm-hmm. have certainly, I'm sure, been very happy that they have not taken a couple more points here. Um, mm-hmm. three to two victory for the Gophers in overtime on Friday, five to three victory for uh the maroon and gold on Saturday. Although I say Maroon and Gold like People would know who I'm referring to, the Gophers, um sweeping right. that series. Uh, and then St. Cloud uh featuring Bemidji State. What a great weekend for this yes. team next. Uh two to nothing and three to one for the women. Uh recapping Friday night's action, Emma Gentry from Taylor Lynn and Clara Himlerova in period number two, and Olivia Savar from Dale Ross in that middle frame as well. Victory 25 to 15 shots on goal, a very tight checking defensive game. Uh faceoffs 15 for 42, Nick. 35.7 percent. Still still face-off, struggle on
1: that. Yikes. Face
0: off dot. <laughs> we need some help, man. But um, although 0 for 4 on the power play, perfect 3 for 3 on the PK. PK has been so good this year. Sonia Hola, 15 stops, 15 shots, third career shutout for her. Night number two, three-to-one victory for the women. McKenna Westlow. Uh, on the power play from Grace Wolf and Nina Newland in the first period. Emma Gentry also in period number one uh, from Olivia Savar. And then Clara Hemlarova on the power play from Nina Newland and Grace Wolf also in period number one. And then Bemidji tacking one on in period number three. Shots 29 26 the other direction in favor of the Beavers in night number two. Face offs much better at night number two for the Huskies, though 32 for 55 at a 58.2% clip. Two for six on the power play uh, today, Nick, in a perfect five for five on the mm-hmm. PK. Exactly That'd what you love to so see. Good. Jojo Chobak, 28 saves on 29 shots. Nick, what a great weekend for this club. We talked about how they had to have these games against St. Thomas, how they had to have these games against Bemidji state. Could they carry the great games that they had against your Wisconsin's against your Ohio States, against your Minnesota's? Could they vie for that four spot in, uh, in the WCHA Nick, Um, as of recording
1: today, that's where they're at. That's where exactly where they're at. Uh, how awesome, right? Um, this was the turnaround that we've been waiting for this club for, shall we say, a couple of years. I mean, yes. can we can we go there? I think we since, can. Since we
0: started doing this, probably you know what I I I don't want to throw people under the bus, but I would say maybe since the talent of the Eric Rude area era.
1: Yeah, it's you know? and and it shows, and I, I don't want to throw you know any shade to to anybody yeah, in particular they've just, they've just
0: they've just struggled you know they struggled
1: it, and yeah. in in our eyes right the the hockey keen eyes the keys were there it's so a could we get someone to get the dang engine started and it se- certainly seems like brian idolsky has gotten this engine started and it's and it's running pretty good right now um granted There's still a lot of work to be done and we're still early. I know we keep, you know, using that as a broken record, but for us, did you hear that it's early? Oh, no, I didn't hear that. Okay. Um, (laughs) But you have to like what you see, right? We said, okay, if we're going to claim success or claim that we have taken steps, um they've been giving the top three fits so grand you know some of the scores were lopsided but if you actually watch those games there's a lot to like when they played Ohio State Minnesota and um, yes. Wisconsin right so this the this the win-loss record wouldn't show up but the actual games played would show you that there was progress so then we yeah. said okay open six not great but if what's now go to these teams that maybe on paper you should beat They've done that. They've won four in a row now outscoring their opponents. I think now 14 to two in that stretch. And they've played the right way. Yes. And that's the thing yes. that's been so exciting is, you know, you can say, oh,
0: they, let's say a couple years ago. Oh, let's say, oh, you steal one against Minnesota. Oh, you stole one against Duluth. Well, the key word, you stole one. Why did stole you steal one. one? Because you weren't the dominant hockey. And now St. Correct. Cloud is the aggressor. They're on their toes. Yes. They're controlling pace of play it's a much different look of a hockey team. And for those who are curious, why did we talk about the four spot in the WCHA top threes are largely untouchable. And we're going to go over the points right now mm-hmm. Four spot here would be a very successful season for the Huskies. So points breakdown: Ohio state, Minnesota, Wisconsin, 28, 27, and 21 points respectively at nine, one, and one nine, Oh, and one and seven and one in the season. Um, Wisconsin was off this weekend. So, um, little bit reason for that extra point disparity. Three points for a win, don't forget, in regulation. St. Cloud is fourth right now at four and six. Like you mentioned, they were 0 and 6. They're now 4 and 6. 13 points on the season. Right ahead of Mankato, who's got 10 points at three and seven. So again, one less victory for Mankato is the separator right now between them and the Huskies. Minnesota Duluth at three and five at nine points. Like we talked about, they easily could uh, have climbed up to that four spot had they stolen a game or two. That they were in very tight against uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio State, Uh, Bemidji State sitting in seventh at one and nine at three points. And then Saint Thomas 0 and seven, yet to get a victory. But Nick. I mean, it's literally the top three spots and then four through eight best of the rest here. And right now, St. Cloud State is making a very good case to be the last home team in the WCHA playoffs. I mean, it's it's been fantastic to see. And like I said, like you said, it's early. But what a what a refreshing breath of fresh
1: air. Right. Like, it's just been fantastic. And you see you see it in their play, too, as I mentioned, when I was calling their games a couple of weeks ago it was immediately obvious the different structural changes, how much more disciplined and better puck management there were. It just seems, I think we talked about this ad nauseum too, one you know, that is these teams in the past, we saw the skill. We just didn't see, shall we say, the IQ side of hockey and the decision-making. That was sort of what we thought was lacking. Yeah. Um, now we do see a more confident and more higher hockey IQ team on the ice. And they're executing uh, what idolsky and the vision that he has for this team, strong defensive play, uh, great puck support in all three ends. And as you mentioned, get on your toes and go attack. Yeah. Right. I think oh, for a lot of the frustrations we've had with this club over the last couple of seasons was essentially they survived. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, and they were tired. They had yeah. long shifts and they could never counterattack. Now, they're creating turnovers in the defensive zone. Yeah. Or they're really creating teams uh, having nightmares entering the zone, which is really good. They're contesting yeah. pucks, right? And then they're getting those loose pucks. They're winning battles. And they're going... Let's go north. It's time for us to go. Attack. Yeah. And it's not, and it's, the defensive structure breeds offense, right? And it's not
0: necessarily, um, you know, where, Oh, you get a turnover and then you set up behind your net and you regroup and you try to do that. No, their turnover is exactly for the purpose of creating a turnover quickly and turning the other way, transitioning, switching lanes and going with numbers, creating on man rushes, three on twos, two on ones, the other direction. And that is a difference. And let's not forget, we talk so much about Brian Idolski and the vision that he's brought to this team. I think we'd be remiss if we mentioned Molly Ingstrom had a hand in this too, for sure, but a player like Janelle Sergey and the offensive style, you know, kind of the let the horses run type of mentality as a coach, right? And the structure that she's tried to implement for so many years where she wants to break open that offense, one of the best offensive players in her day, a U.S. Olympian, um, you know, Wisconsin Badger as well too. Uh, she is someone that has been kind of pining away for this transitional game and high speed and skill for a while and finally has found, Uh, A coaching match, so to speak, and a guy like Brian Adelsky who knows how to unlock that potential in these players. It's been fantastic to see. What's on tap here uh, in the WCHA? Uh, Ohio State, St. Thomas on Sunday. Um, This, uh, today, essentially game number two. Uh, Monday, St. Cloud State will be playing Minnesota. November 7th, 7 p.m. Andover Community Center Women's Hockey Hall of Fame game. Um, so make sure that you uh, tune into that one so we don't have that answer to that score, obviously, right now. St. Thomas, Thursday, Friday, non-conference against Lindenwood. And then Duluth will play St. Cloud Friday, Saturday as normal. And then on Monday, UW Eau Claire plays a non-conference game against Mankato. So a very weird schedule right now in the WCHA. A lot of teams off, a lot of other teams playing at very random, uh, random times here. So um. Yeah, like we said, very, very weird in general. This is the matchup that I think is really going to tell us a lot here, Nick. This Duluth team, who has given some of these big dogs fits, really right now I, I see St. Cloud, Duluth, and maybe Mankato, a three-way jumble for trying to get that four spot of the WCHA as yeah. of right now. I feel like Bemidji State and St. Thomas at least earlier, a little bit out of the mix here. What do you expect, man? It's going to be
1: a dogfight for lack of a better phrase, right? Nice. Um, I know <laughs> you set me up for it. I'm sorry. Um, but but honestly, though, St. Cloud <clears throat> has put themselves in a position where, let's think of it this way, right? We talk about how important the four or five spot is. I'm less worried about four, but if they can be either four or five, yeah, you're avoiding the big three in the first round. This
0: team is capable
1: of it, too. And they are. Yeah. And they are. So, It's gonna be, I mean, they have a tough test against the Golfers again. But let's go back to the Golfer series. They made that interesting. Yeah. And now you're writing a four-game win streak. Wisconsin too. Wisconsin too. Yeah. So it's like, well, now that they have gotten better for these four games, they've gotten better a little bit, they've cleaned up some things defensively. Yeah. Now was can you get that one goal? Can you put you know, can you actually actually, execute there was a couple of times against the Minnesota game. Where they could have scored and they would have gone up two one late in that third. We were watching the game, I think, in North Dakota. Yeah. And it's if you can find a way to, to just get one bounce, um, you have to feel confident about your chances as a squad going against Minnesota. When was the last time that we truly sat here together on this podcast and said this women's team has a chance not to steal a game, meaning you you get a bounce and you don't deserve the win, but actually deserve and play the right way to yeah. beat the golfers, right. It's two different. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, certainly would agree. And, you know, you
1: talk about, I mean, I think the Ohio state series was maybe the only
0: series where the Huskies didn't come out with the greatest strength. And Correct. then after that, you know, it was a, it was a good retool and a very quick uh, change on the fly, so to speak. And it, and it has been impressive. And you talked about, you know, the top end teams, you expect them to probably at least get a split at the worst on the weekend. But you know what the Huskies now have turned into the aggressor on offense. And like you said, it's not, you don't go into period number three going, Oh, if they can just hold them off till, till we get to overtime, or if they can just, you know, carry this two to one lead and, you know, face an onslaught of 25 shots. And that's going to be that. And if they can hang on, well, good for them. No, it's, OK, can they get that separating goal? Can they create their own luck? Can they create their own bounces? you talk about getting a bounce, that all starts with fundamental play. It starts with good mm-hmm. defensive play, great transition to the neutral zone, willingness to be aggressive on the, on the check and in the offensive zone with some extended zone time. So I am
1: very curious to see this matchup uh, next weekend. What's up? And shall we say the whole hockey adage is sometimes, or a lot of times actually, a lot of the puck, like you can create your own puck, like by, like you yeah. said, doing the right things fundamentally in um, somehow some way. And it's for the casual very really doesn't make sense. But I think for us, it does. Um, all of a sudden, instead of chasing the puck, the puck's finding you. And I right. think that's what St. Cloud is starting to transition to is the puck's finding them in the right areas because they're doing the right things and they're getting those bounces now as opposed to nothing really going their way in previous seasons.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about things maybe not going your way to start a season. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, our last topic in the main portion of the show. Yay. What a um, transition that was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, the Wild should learn how to transition in their own zone. How about that? Um, oh, boy. 5-5-1 <laughs> yeah. five, five and one in the season, 11 points for them. They're two points out of third in the central and one point out of the second wild card spot still somehow. Uh dash five goal differential past week, only two games for them, four to one victory where they looked very good against yep. Montreal. And then a four to nothing loss, an absolute egg against and Seattle. That was, at that was a, that was ugly. Yeah, that was absolutely terrible. Um, what's on tap here for this team, Los Angeles Kings in LA Tuesday in Anaheim on Thursday in Seattle on Friday. And then back home Sunday, um, against San Jose, um, so as far as the wild card standings, like we mentioned in the Western Conference, it's Dallas, um, okay. who's had a great start to the season. Uh, Dallas, Winnipeg, and then Colorado getting both of those games over in Finland at 17, 15, and 13 points, respectively. And then wildcard, Edmonton at 14 points, Chicago at 12 points. Chicago uh, and, of all teams. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Calgary, Minnesota, and Nashville all at 11 points. So the Wild somehow still in the mix here. Still time for them to figure it out, but – um, mm-hmm has not been the greatest start. The goal differential will never, I don't think be on their side, at least for a while because of the first couple of games here. Uh I, We're kind of riding high on what was a pretty good road trip, all things considered, for the Wild, and then coming back home, a great, great response um, against Montreal. And then uh, Thursday, this looked like a Wild team that had no jump, no gas. Eleven forwards, seven defensemen. The experiment didn't really work out with all the injuries. And uh, yeah, the time off right now is the injuries. Time off uh, was much needed. That the report is that Jordan Greenway might be ready for Tuesday in LA. Ryan Hartman's out long term, and the other guys are Mm kind of day to day. But uh, yeah didn't help losing Marcus Foligno.
1: And uh yeah, that Thursday's game was, it was brutal. And, and, and for me because I may have missed it for uh Ryan Harbin. Was that upper, was that upper body, right? Yeah. It was when he got in that fight and yeah, uh, when Startle. he fell yeah. down,
0: right. It was kind of a yeah. weird, I wonder if, I wonder if it's like a wrist injury, the way he was kind of yeah. holding his arm, but yeah, it, it looked like it, but again,
1: we don't know for sure. So we got yeah, to speculate. Just very Matt Dumba from a couple years ago, you know? Yeah. Um, yikes and yeah we'll just have to wait and see <laughs> that's i mean honestly I, yeah i'm not i'm not as down on the wild as i think people want me to be um granted they, they started well, off hard to evaluate only two games in a week like right um and and let's be honest here too when was the last time that we saw the wild actually throw a dud like they did against said it? it's been a while
0: yeah it's so, been a while Certainly has. Well, let's remember the wild. What is it? They lost their first two or three and they're five, five and one. So Like we said that, uh, that, or they lost their first two, won their third, lost their fourth. And then they had a good yep. stretch of like four games that they won before they're done against Seattle. So there's been things that have been trending the right way. Right. You know, but it's just, it, it, it takes time. Yeah. I haven't had that consistent, like, Oh, we've strung, you know, five wins together and we've looked good or, Oh, we strung. Four wins and a loss together, but in the loss, it was a 3-2 OT loss, and we looked really good and probably could have won the game. You know, just hasn't really had that feel like I felt like we had last year where this team never really felt like they were out of hockey games, even when they were struggling right. a little bit. So, um, yeah, I mean – I don't really know that we need to spend a whole lot of time in the wild. There wasn't a whole lot to evaluate this week. will, I think give us a much better answer Four games. Um, Of course, three that we'll be able to cover by the time that we hit Sunday, although we might hit four um, by the way, depending on the way the schedule shakes out um, with what we've got going on this weekend. We'll give you an update on that, by the way, too, as far as scheduling, whether we record on Sunday or maybe even Monday, Nick's got some travel doing some hockey games. So um, that's exciting, obviously. So, Um, With that being said, Nick, we're going to head on to our final portion of the show. We're going to do our extra eye session where we're going to talk about both Mitchell Miller and Paul Washi. And welcome into the extra eye session, Nick Maxon, alongside myself, Noah Grant. it has got a beautiful smile on his face, Caleb. If you're uh, if you're going back to the video here, uh, as soon as I said that, he, his smile went away. He was annoyed by that, apparently. No, it, because
1: it, we know whole Caleb likes to screenshot my smiles. Said Noah.
0: Yeah, ever. but you look nice. You have your glasses on. Your lighting looks good. You're drinking some water. You're well hydrated.
1: That's that's a first. Yeah. I don't know,
0: man. I I like it anyway. Um. What we don't like. um <laughs> This is, uh, there was also some hockey Canada news this week. I left that out. Cause we, we can only handle so much. No, um, exactly. Yeah. Mitchell Miller, for those who missed it, uh essentially was signed by um the Boston Bruins organization and was supposed to report to AHL's Providence. Um,
1: some people were supposed to,
0: yeah. Some people were not keen on that. Namely a man named the commissioner of the national hockey league and Gary Batman, among other people, um,
1: And essentially, let's just just say the media consensus has been largely negative.
0: Yeah, and rightfully so. So essentially, to kind of walk you through the Bruins signing him, um, and we'll get to who Mitchell Mitchell Miller is in a second, but signing him and Gary Bettman essentially saying, nope, we were not consulted on that. We do not. I mean, you can sign him, but he's not going to play in the NHL. Per our bylaws right now, he is not eligible to play in the NHL based on his past conduct and his recent conduct, so to speak. AHL currently reviewing their bylaws to see if he can even report to the minor league club in right. Providence. Uh, for those who uh, don't remember, essentially when he was 14 years old, it was him uh, and another gentleman who essentially um, were picking on a, a student with a disability and mm-hmm. essentially urinated on a lollipop and urinal and made the kid eat it. Um, and since then, the other individual in this incident has since fully apologized um, to the victim's family and to the victim, and they've accepted that apology. Mitchell Miller has not done that. Um, And his only apologies have been Instagram style apologies that are pretty much almost like court ordered at best, the way that they feel Um, because you can tell he's written by a lawyer. Yeah. You can tell he just wants to play hockey course he was picked up by the university of north dakota drafted by arizona arizona dropped him north dakota dropped him he spent a year in the ushl where he did absolutely tear it up and the usual had a really great season the bruins liked what they saw decided to sign him and now we've hit this point here and the essential argument is well he was 14 you know We all do stupid stuff when we're 14. Mm -hmm. There's things to be remorseful about. You know, we need to move on. We need to give people a second chance. We've talked about this with the Logan Mayu situation, which was a messy situation. We've talked about, you know, uh, other gamuts of things like that. Um, But the counter argument to that is he really hasn't apologized. He really hasn't been remorseful. All he wants to do is to do this so he can play hockey. And Gary Bettman, in his statement, said he's not eligible to play in the NHL. And then the next part I thought was interesting. He may never be eligible Mm -hmm. to play in the NHL. Nick, this is a messy situation. And we talked about how we were willing to say people can change, people can grow, but they need to show that to us. And the hockey world has given us a boatload of that recently. Got to say, man, it's hard to be at Mitchell Miller's camp because he really hasn't – his on-ice play has been great and he's moved on in that respect. But from a personal side, the maturity piece kind of lacking.
1: There's two – evil sorcerers in this too. And that's also the Boston Bruins organization, because here's what they also did. The Boston Bruins said in their statement, trying to essentially excuse and explain away the reason for the signing was the one of the first thing they said was we've done our due diligence. The athletic did a very simple due diligence check themselves and found that essentially everything the Boston Bruins have said was factually incorrect. Um, So, and I, I, Right. Nah. So I, I think it was Sean Gentile. they like that. Absolutely wrote the blank. Yeah. Out of the Boston ruins organization. Um, and to Mitchell Miller, right. Quite respectively. Right. Where yeah. it is. Um, not only did Boston not consult the victims. Uh, they never consulted again, Gary Bettman. It's very odd to see Gary Bettman actually kind of take a actual pointed stab. Cause mind yeah. you, Gary Bettman's <laughs> an attorney by, by trade. Right. Yeah. And, when he defends the league for certain things, he's, he, he kind of gives you words, Sally vagues away. These are very pointed, comments very direct from Gary from Gary Batman. We <laughs> normally don't see that. Right. And, so and every,
0: I laugh because everybody on Twitter, we kept posting that the
1: worst person, you know, just made a great point. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so that's, it, it, it makes the situation very unique from that perspective that, you know, what the hell is Boston doing right now yeah. to your first point, had Mitchell Miller, and we had some sort of indication that he actually has gone and apologized and we have seen whether personal it's no
0: growth, personal yeah, personal
1: growth, right? And we see a record of that. I'm not sure we're having this conversation, agree. Um, but because even till this day, when you have Boston and and again, somebody picked, I think it was Sean Gentiles who said, so Boston didn't consult the players. They didn't consult the league. They say they consulted the family when they never did. They waited to announce the signing when the team was on the road. And I believe it was Patrice Bergeron and some of that were are very unhappy with the signing to with yeah. the organization. Which so, which they talked about. It puts them in a difficult position that they should yeah. have no part of either. You know, right. So, so wait a second. So Boston says they don't due diligence when clearly they tried to skirt around everything. I think it's all all it tells you who's really what they did they did nothing
0: and even when you're in own players and your captains are like no wtf like i don't don't understand you know and that's where right you know we've talked about this too and you talked about the victim's family and you talked about you know there are some families who you know damaging things like this happen and they want frankly a lot more to come out of it they want right. a lot more the family simply wanted you know closure. An yeah an apology right. and for mitchell miller to be a better person and the fact that you can't even in his eyes stoop so low as to be able to have a little bit of humility in some senses right. to just be honest and apologize and sit down with the family and the victim and talk through things shows to me that you know we had the discussion with shane Wright last week um you know, the maturity side of things, you want to be an NHL player, you want to play at the Division One level, you want to play at the USHL level, you have to show the maturity and accountability not only on the ice, but especially off the, off ice. the ice. And he is not even remotely
1: close to that stratosphere. No. And I think we have to mention to Noah that this wasn't just one incident. This was repeated yeah. incidents over a period of time. Granted, I mean, we talked about, the age of 14 we have all done stupid crap right we but we
0: we covered this on our show and we partially defended him because we said north dakota dropped him arizona dropped him you know let's see what it is in the ushl let's see if he he writes the ship a little bit let's see if he can you know same with the logan mayu situation as well too who recently got signed with the canadians let's see if he's able to do that i think the logan mayu situation is looking a little bit better than this situation but they're both not great um you know young men who that for whatever reason, follow this path of immaturity. And like mm-hmm. I said, we've all done dumb stuff at 14, 15, almost 26. In my case, I've mm-hmm. d- d- done stupid things this week. But it's one thing to do something dumb. It's another thing, the level of dumbness that you have. And number three, do you recognize your actions? Do you learn from your actions? Do you do grow you from your actions? Right? Yeah. It's do you take an all-
1: accountability for Absolutely. it? And that's, and that's really where this conversation is. Has gotten so, everybody so fired up, Noah. Is that it's one thing to do. And first of all, these are very heinous acts, you yeah, know. They, you know, so they're part of what makes this such a maddening topic. Is it wasn't just like there was some maybe some name calling, and you know, which is which is still bad. I'm not trying to reduce what that is, right? Yeah. Um. It's the fact that this person is sort of is, has a mental disability, so shall we say they yeah. can't really help themselves. We don't yeah. know this person, but it's less likely, right? And you can't take the action back, you know? right? Um, and it wasn't just that, and not only to to do that, not just once, but repeatedly. Yep. And then to not have the self accountability to be offered an apology, and again, this is what seven years later. Yeah. Um. And again, I, I think Gary Bettman's word speaks for themselves. Um, His code of conduct does not make him eligible in the NHL, nor may it ever. I think that was definitely a, a ladder, a very shot across the bow from, yeah. from Gary Bettman and the AHL exploring their bylaws to see if he would even be eligible. I would presume yeah. that he will not skate a single game professionally this season. Yeah. Nope. I, I, I just what's... can't see it.
0: You know what's interesting? We talk about Hockey Canada, everyone's favorite uh, organization, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk about the Chicago Blackhawks too, uh, you know, last year. We talk about the term tone deaf. And I think the thing that makes it even more damning is, and what goes through my mind is what was Mitchell Miller thinking? And I'm not talking about seven years ago. I'm talking about how do you get dropped from one of, realistically, one of the best organizations in college hockey, dropped by the team that drafted you in the National Hockey League, have all this backlash. And granted, he responded well on the ice in the USHL, so good for him, I guess. Um That's, but but you, that's, not, but, what, but, that's not what needs to be done. But that's what I'm saying. Like All of those things happened, and yet you couldn't take a year and a half of soul-searching to figure out what you needed to do to not be a total scumbag of a shitty person, essentially. And you couldn't figure that out enough to be better as a person so that... All of us around the hockey world could at least look and say, you know what, the kid's making progress. It might take him four years before finally, like, yeah, we've seen enough to feel like it, but he took no time to reflect on the absolute negative backlash that he has gotten in the past year and a half and say, you know, maybe there is something to how I've been acting as a person. You know, like I said, being 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, there's a lot of developments Brain-wise and personality-wise mm-hmm. and human-wise, that certainly you know you're not the same person at 25 that you are at no. 21. But at the but at with that being said, there was no self-reflection. There's been no indication of that. And like like you talked about the the article in the Athletic ripping people apart. With that being said, I have yet to see an article or a handful of articles that say, well, no. When he was in the USHL, actually his coaches said this, or actually he was acting Mm -hmm. like this, or actually
1: he was doing this. There's been no defense of him because it's indefensible because he hasn't done anything. Let's take it one step further. Do not tell me that if you're Mitchell Miller, when you're first drafted by the Coyotes, and this news first comes out, you get dropped by the team that drafted you, you get dropped by the University of North Dakota, that somebody out there, Isn't in here in his ear going, your hockey career is in jeopardy. Yeah. And this is the simple things that you have to do. And if you do that, it's never going to completely clear out the history that you've done. But you can at least start to move things forward for not only for yourself, but for the victim and the the victim's family. Right. So I have a hard time believing. And that's I think that's what makes this worse. I can't imagine a scenario where somebody or multiple people haven't told him what he's had to do to try to at least make this as right as it can be for the amount of time that's passed and to still not have to not have done any of that makes it even more reprehensible and even might be even more upsetting it's brutal um so, so yeah that's I don't wanna, that's that's to me right i just yeah. i i no. i think agree he's been told. i concur
0: 110 percent um i don't want to give it any more time because it right pisses it's me off enough. honestly yeah um Other side of this, other news, that story that we've been tracking for the past uh, year or so, uh, former Western Michigan University hockey captain um, Paul Washi accused in a 2021 rape was sentenced to probation on Friday following a guilty plea to sex crimes months earlier. So Paul Washi, who, of course, is 23 now. Um, pled on August 23rd to one count of seduction as part of a plea offer from the Kalamazoo County Prosecutor's Office, which agrees to dismiss the two counts of third-degree criminal sexual assault connected to the December 2021 alleged sexual assault of an 18-year-old Western Michigan student. There were a lot of allegations against him in addition to this that came out, but this is the one that essentially... We went through the court process with, um, for those who were curious, cause Nick and I were very curious about it before we uh, started the show and talked about what is seduction under Minnesota or excuse me, Michigan, Michigan law. law. Yep. Um, It's actually um, was written in the 1840s and hasn't been changed since the 1930s. So um, quote saying, any man who shall seduce any unmarried woman shall be guilty of a felony, a five-year maximum in-state prison upon conviction, and a max fine of $2,500. So that's the high end of what this seduction, but the short statute of limitations applies to seduction cases. They cannot be tried once one year has passed since the date of the alleged offense, um, which can be waived, of course, by the defendant. Um, the crime requires a man to be the actor and the woman as the victim. And the law is based on the idea that the man persuaded or induced the woman to submit to his sexual embraces when she would have not acted in this way. Otherwise, as we've talked about in this situation before, it's deemed that alcohol was likely, um, been a a factor, um, And why would you take a plea deal? One of the pieces here, um, you can be required to register for 15 years to life, depending on the series of first or third degree, which in this case, third degree, criminal sexual conduct charge. Um, Mm -hmm. And he had two of those. So it would be two potentially maximum 15 year sentences and a lifetime registry for the sex offender registry. With this plea deal, he does not. Nick, you kind of walked me through it before the show a little bit about kind of the nuances and intricacies of what this means. If you're someone who takes a plea deal, why the prosecution would initiate a plea deal and kind of, uh, you know, the differences between this, can you kind of walk our listeners and viewers through uh, the, the, the latest developments for Paul Washi? I knew
1: you'd put me on the spot with this. Okay. Hey, you're the one, you're the one. I know. Through it well, I so. know. So, well, I think before I do that, I want to preface that, you know, this is, it still doesn't change the victim in this case, yeah. right? It doesn't we change. We, we don't we, condone, condone any anything, of this. Right. Yeah. But here's where in the state of Michigan, apparently, and, and to their view, the re and it's not just a plea in my eyes. Um, I mentioned that with the allegations that were there, right. Um, anytime the alcohol is involved and I think that the biggest, like the marquee case was in Tennessee, like 10 years ago. Um, yeah. And different states rule on this a little bit differently. I don't think in Minnesota, um, that first of all, this law doesn't exist. And number two, um, alcohol is not seen um, as, shall we say, it doesn't matter. Well, let's put it that way. Uh, right. for in most cases, right? I believe that in in this case, right? And again, to for criminal sexual conduct, there has to be a, at least some strong case of like forced intent or malintent. Yeah. A prime example of this for those who are wondering the hockey Canada case right now. Yep. yep. So, it, and to me, it, I don't know, like based on, you know, the interviews with the victim and, and Washi, you know what happened, but it sounds like the prosecution didn't feel comfortable or confident that they were going to uh, win that battle. That's, that's how I see it. Now I could be completely wrong because we've also seen this too, Noah, where when you get to the case where this gets litigated, meaning it goes in front of a judge or a jury and you got to rehash everything out. Right. Um, as the victim, if you have a strong attorney on the defense side, they could rip that apart. So what this sort of law in Michigan does is allows Washington to get charged with something. Cause I mean, let's, let's be honest, like uh, seduction is, it, it's it, it's not nearly as yeah. bad, right? And, it, it, and,
0: and you talked about how difficult some of these things are, unfortunately, to prove. And a prime example right. in Michigan, for those who are curious, another comparable case, 2018, three Michigan State University football players and an alleged female in a similar case. Just if people right. want some sort of comparison.
1: Right. So, and you kind of wonder, was this a victim request? Um, or was this the prosecution going back to the victim and says, hey, this is, what, this is what we have. We... You know, based on what we think we can prove, I don't know if we're gonna be able to get this, but if we offer this to him and he accepts again, the big difference here is he doesn't have to register as a sex offender. That's huge, especially right. for him. Right. To it, 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 he pleads guilty. So he's admitting to something. Right. So there is right. accountability in some sense. Right. Um, And now the secondary part, I think the sentencing is probation essentially is what. Yeah, no, no, no jail time and no sex offender registry like you mentioned. So So was this an offering from the victim? Was this a a driven like or a fact driven type thing? I don't know. But again, what I going back to the top is it doesn't take away what happened in terms of how the victim felt. I think that has to be has to be uh, we have to remind folks of that. So I'm not advocating that he's innocent or he's not uh I'm, yeah. I'm I'm not taking sides of this I'm just trying to help explain why this is the conclusion that it yeah. that it that it reached and more so again just like in the Mitchell Miller situation you, d- is there going to be a formal apology like what's the next steps thing because right. probation is just the legal requirements um and i don't know if he has apologized i guess maybe that's a better question i haven't seen anything
0: yeah maybe the victim doesn't want any part of that and again like i said you know for someone who was put on the spot you explained it very eloquently so thank you for that but uh you know and that's the thing that is important to point out is we haven't really had a strong update in this since maybe the spring it's been kept under reps pretty, pretty, pretty 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 nice so kind of important And he didn't answer any questions with the media paul washington so our goal was to just say hey we finally got an update on this. Here are the facts. Here's what we know. <laughs> you know, here's a potential interpretation of why this may have come, and all the avenues and options there. So, um, giving listeners uh, essentially uh, what a breakdown might be for this. Nick, did you have anything else you wanted to add on
1: that? Or at the end of the day, again, if you are, uh, I think the biggest thing we didn't mention, if you are a victim of sexual of violence or abuse, make sure you go through the proper channels. Make sure it gets reported. Yep. Have a strong um, support system you know, at the end of the day. um, And, and and certainly, um, you know, unfortunately, in today's
0: world, um, especially if you're female, but anybody, obviously, make sure you're paying attention to your surroundings and where you're Mm -hmm. at, and that you have friends with you and those sorts of things, because these things are just brutal to happen. And you don't want to put yourself in a potential spot where this might happen to you. So, um, you know, because there are some really poor people out there in the world that do some really really messed up things, unfortunately. So. Um, but what we do is we cover hockey and we are excited for it. Of course, men's hockey, um, at home against Western Michigan, women's hockey at home against Duluth. It's actually a double header at home, uh, for this group. So important to make sure that, uh, um, if you're a Huskies fan, you are getting to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center this weekend to watch a ton of hockey here. So, um, yeah. yeah, it should be very exciting. Of course, the Wild Los Angeles on the road on Tuesday, on the road Thursday, Friday and Anaheim and Seattle Sunday back home in San Jose. We'll have three of those four games to cover for you. That will do it for episode number 136. For Nick Maxson, I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. <laughs> Come in, they score! Ripped
1: in! A bomb
0: from Perkins!
1: So, Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov, in for a chance to win! 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.